Um, it's really good to be here today. I just wanted to just say last week was amazing. Jason, great, 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 great talking about unity. And I don't know if y'all were like me, but Sunday afternoon I was Googling the weight capacity of a red solo cup. Um, I couldn't find it, so I did my own little experiment. And I can say I was upheld by red solo cups. And does anybody want to guess how many it took? 34. Anybody else? 15? For those of you who weren't here last week, we did a little experiment showing how unity is powerful, so you can crush one solo cup, but if there's lots of them, they can't be crushed. Actually, I found a hack, and I stacked them on top of each other, which is truly unity, and the answer is five. Five. So that was fun. That was a fun little experiment I did this week. Um, also, I just want to say, just because Nikki and I do the youth together, Nikki did an awesome job on speaking on the, our revelation of Jesus. Um, if you haven't listened to that, make sure to really listen to that. It was like a life-changing message. And today, I, I kind of am continuing in that theme. Um, I'm not calling it like a revelation of Jesus part two, but um, everything hinges on our revelation of Jesus. Like how we see him changes how we see ourselves, how we see others, and how we see the world around us. And so it's super important that we, we live our lives seeing him rightly and that we put him in his right place. Um, and so today I'm going to talk about a revelation of Jesus that has largely impacted my life and has changed the way that I live. And it's really like, it's a huge thing. Um, it's tied to the gospel, but it's like, I think it's like the gospel in continuation. And so I know we just prayed, but I want to pray again because I, I have a lot on my heart this morning, but I want to make it simple and concise. And so I need prayer. So yeah, Lord, thank you that you're here this morning. And Lord, I just thank you that you are speaking. And Lord, I pray that you would connect my heart and you'd connect our hearts with what you're saying this morning. Lord, I pray that you would connect dots that have never been connected before in our hearts and in our minds. Lord, I pray that you would bring us into a greater and deeper revelation of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so today, I am talking about Jesus, our high priest, which I'm super excited about. The youth have heard me, I'm sorry to the youth who've heard me preach on this for like I don't know, we did like four or five weeks or something, um, but it's something I'm super passionate about. Most of you probably, when I just said Jesus our high priest, you're like, cool, what does that mean? Um, if you were to grow up in Old Testament Jewish law and I told you that Jesus was your high priest, you would be running around this room jumping over the chairs. But we don't understand what a high priest is, so we don't understand what it means that he's our high priest. And so I'm just super, I'm not going to really dive into it. Um, we know Jesus mostly as our Savior, right? Like, if, if we think about Jesus, we think of him as our Messiah, as our Savior. True? True. Y'all can talk back to me this morning. I'm telling y'all, I'm like, this is interactive. It's true. That's right. There we go. It's true that he's our Savior, but he's not just our Savior, Right, Because if we just recognize him as our Savior, it actually limits our revelation of him, 
and it actually keeps us stuck in some things that we're not supposed to live in. And if you don't know that Jesus is your high priest, you will easily feel burned out, distant from the Lord, and your heart will feel numb. It's really easy to have a heart that's numb and going through the motions to feel burned out and to feel distant from the Lord if we don't understand he's our high priest. And so the reason why is because the high priest is the opposite of those things, and I'll go into that. But I want to just share personally, just to kind of set the stage for what we're going to be talking about today. When I was a teenager, I was probably, I don't know, like I was trying to think. I was like, maybe I was 14 or 15. I remember, I think I was reading through Romans or something, and I got this, I got hit by this thing of that Jesus as the last Adam undid what Adam did in the garden, right? And I remember I was, I was spending that at a friend's house. I was sleeping on his couch, you know, at his parents' house because we're all teenage, we were teenagers. And I remember I said to him, I said, I think what Jesus did on the cross has to be bigger than what Adam did in the garden. Like, I think it's actually possible for me to live my life more, like, more with the blood of Jesus going through my veins than the blood of the flesh, right? Like, it's more possible to live by the Spirit than by the flesh. And I remember as a teenager, I was saying this to my friend, and I was like, I think it's actually possible to live free from sin. Like, I think it's, I was like, because what Jesus did has to be bigger than the flesh. And I remember I said this, and my friend, who was about my same age, about 16, he said, well, that sounds really great, but if you can live free from sin, then what do you need Jesus for? And I remember, as a teenager, I sat there, and I thought about it, and I said, yeah, that's true. I don't know. And I made a conclusion that moment. It was a wrong conclusion, but I made a conclusion. And I'm afraid some of us have made the same conclusion. I concluded I would rather be close to the Lord as a sinner and still need him than far from him and righteous. Because my only revelation of the Lord was my need for him and nothing else. So if I didn't need him, I couldn't be close to him. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying, but this, so what I decided was that I needed to stay in a constant place of needing him and being in a total place of, we're always dependent on the Lord, but I decided I'd rather be a sinner that needs him than a righteous person that's distant than him, distant from, distant from him. I explained it to the youth like this. I said, have you, so y'all seen those shirts, right? That's like, Jesus is my lifeguard. Or like my lifeguard walks on water, right? Have y'all seen those shirts? If Jesus is our lifeguard, which is like Jesus is our savior, like it's true, like he saves us, it's 100% true, but it's not the whole story, right? So if Jesus is my lifeguard, say there's a pool, I'm drowning in the pool of sin, right? Jesus jumps off his lifeguard stand, he walks on top of the water because he's not drowning in sin. So he walks on top of the water. He pulls me up, brings me to the side of the pool, dries me off, dusts me off. He's like, you know, you're saved. Congratulations, right? If Jesus is just my lifeguard, then he's going to go back up on this lifeguard stand to save people who are drowning, right? Now, what if I actually love Jesus and actually want to be close to him? What's the closest you'll ever be to a lifeguard? when you're drowning. And so if we only know Jesus as our savior, 
we will put ourselves in a perpetual place of needing to be saved in order to continue to know him. This absolutely changed my life when I realized this, because he's more than your lifeguard. And so some of the most sincere, like, well-meaning people that truly love the Lord, they think and they're the most aware of their sin because it's what they think ties them to him. That wasn't Jesus' goal of the cross. That was not his goal of the cross at all. Actually, that was the goal of the law. That was the goal of the old covenant. And so I want to dive into, is this good? Okay, that's good. <laughs> Y'all are like super quiet. Everyone's like this. Uh, <laughs> Y'all just kind of giving me stares. It's either like this is really deep or y'all are like, I don't get what you're saying. <laughs> really deep. That's good. Hopefully it's deep but simple. My goal is to make it super simple. Um, so again, I'm not going to, just for time's sake, I'm not going to dive super into the priest of Jesus or into the Old Testament priesthood. I don't fully understand it even. I'm not saying like, I know it all, but I'm not going to dive into it. There's a lot that I'm like, it's just, it's a lot. But I'll say this. The job of the priest in the Old Testament was to offer sacrifices, to offer gifts, and to keep the fire burning on the altar, among a whole bunch of other things. They were in charge of everything. They were in charge of the tabernacle. They were in charge of, you know, the setting up and tearing down when they were going all through the desert. And they had a ton of roles, tons of responsibilities. But the priest's job if you, if you look really big picture, the priest's job and the high priest's job was to connect the people to the Lord. It was actually to bring the people into communion with God. So the priest's job was to, was to bring me to communion with the Lord. And the way that would work was, if I was living in Old Testament Israel, and if I sinned or if I did something intentionally or unintentionally, I would go to the priest and I would bring a lamb or a goat or I'd bring whatever was needed and the priest would make a sacrifice and then apply the blood of the sacrifice to the altar or to whatever needed to be done for me to now be in right standing with the Lord again, right? So like until this sacrifice is made, I'm not in right standing with the Lord. Like my conscience is dirty. I'm like, I need forgiven. I need covering. I need a sacrifice. And so the sacrifice would be made and I would be forgiven, now, the blood of bulls and goats is only temporary, so it was only a temporary forgiveness, um, but it was a forgiveness nonetheless, and the, the people were only as close to God as their high priest was good. Like, if your high priest is on vacation, if he's out chilling in the Bahamas, then you're distant from the Lord until he's able to make a sacrifice for you. Does that make sense? You're only as close to the Lord as your high priest is good. One of the key jobs of the priest was to keep the fire burning on the altar. And this is explained in Leviticus. It's actually super interesting how they don't... So God says three times in Leviticus 6, in one chapter, he says three times, he commands them to keep the fire burning. Um... I'll just read them really quick. This is Leviticus 8, the second part of it. It says, The burnt offering shall be on the hearth of the altar all night until the morning, and the fire of the altar shall be kept burning on it. Then verse 12 says it again. The fire on the altar shall be kept burning. It shall not go out. 
The priest shall burn wood on it every morning, and he shall arrange the burnt offering on it, and shall burn on it the fat of the peace offerings. The fire shall be kept burning on the altar continually. It shall not go out. So the priest's job was to keep the fire burning. The fire was burning on the altar. So when, this is just a really cool side note. When, when the tabernacle was like, they, they made it and now it's being consecrated to the Lord, the Lord came down with a fire and actually burned up the offering that was on the, the altar. Does anybody know how long that fire that the Lord brought upon the altar burned? Did the youth remember? No, that's all right. So for sure, it burned for at least 800 years. Some people believe that even through the Babylonian exile, it continued all the way up till the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, which would be over 1,400 years. That's the job of the priest, is to keep the fire burning. And so what happens is, Jesus comes, right? I'm like jumping super ahead. Jesus comes, he dies on the cross, he's our savior, he's our Messiah, he lives a perfect life. John introduces him and says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, right? But he also says, his sandal straps I'm not worthy to untie, I baptize you with water, but he baptizes you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So when Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished, Because his job as the lamb who takes away the sins of the world was finished. But if he was just your savior, he'd still be in that grave. Because his job was done. But he rose for another reason. And he rose to take his job as the high priest. And this is really like, I know this is again, it's like kind of, it's just a lot. But really, Through Hebrews, it talks about the priesthood of Jesus and what it means that he is our priest. And so Jesus rose, he walked on on earth, one of the disciples appeared to many people, he ascended to the Father, and he sat down at the right hand of God. I'm going to read this really quick. Um, Actually, I'm just going to, this is Hebrews, y'all can all turn there if you're not there already. I guess I'll start in Hebrews 8. Hebrews 8 verse 1, the writer of Hebrews talks a lot about priesthood and starts talking about Jesus as the priest. And then in Hebrews 8, there's this amazing phrase that says, now the point in what we are saying is this. If you ever see the Bible say the point in what we're saying is this, highlight it. Now the point in what we're saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty of heaven, a minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up and not man. So when God commanded Moses to make the temple, I'm sorry, the tabernacle, it was a shadow of the things that were in heaven. And so Jesus ascends to the Father. He comes with his own blood, which is in Hebrews, I think it's Hebrews 9. It talks about not with the blood of bulls and goats, but with his own blood, he entered into the most holy place. And he bought for us an eternal redemption. So in the Old Testament, the blood of bulls and goats, they're temporary beings. And, and their blood was a temporary forgiveness. Jesus' blood, once and for all, has removed sin 
It's actually taken it away from us. And he has given us an eternal redemption. And now he sits on the mercy seat at the right hand of the Father. And you know what he's doing? Yeah, he's interceding. He is keeping the fire burning. And so this is where we have a gap. Is we think, if we're not thinking, if we don't read Hebrews, we think that Jesus died, he ascended to the Father, and now he's waiting for us to get our act together. He's like, I did everything I can do. Ready for, here's, here's what we think he's saying. Look what I did for you, what can you do for me? That's, like, that's what we think he's saying. We think that he kind of did his part and now we do our part. But the truth is that Jesus is now actually, he ascended to the Father and now he has a ministry. Did y'all know that? Jesus has a ministry? Look at this, this is crazy. This is Hebrews 7, verse 24. It says, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jumping down to verse, or chapter 8, verse 6, it says, But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry. Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better. So the job of the priest is to get you in communion with God. So now Jesus has walked into the true heavenly tabernacle, put his own blood upon the mercy seat, given us eternal forgiveness and removal of sins. Now he's interceding and he's ministering to you his blood. So a lot of times, a lot of times we don't draw near to the throne of grace in our time of need because we think he's just waiting for us to figure it out. But if you understand that every moment Jesus is actually ministering to you, he's actually taking what he did and he's making it mean something to you. That's actually his job now. His job now is to take his cross and his blood and actually apply it to your life. He's actually taking what he's done and he's making it meaningful and he's keeping the fire of your heart burning. Did y'all know that's his job? His job is to keep your fire burning. That's one of the primary roles of the priesthood. Your job is to steward the fire. If you don't understand that, you'll feel numb and cold and distant from the Lord. We'll feel distant because as, he, as it says, we can draw near to his throne of grace in the time of need and find mercy and help. Rather than doing that, we'll try to get our act together before we come to him because we're like, Lord, you already saved me. This should already be done. It should already be dealt with. But when we understand he's our high priest and that he's continuing to apply that to us, and he's not just our lifeguard, but what he does is he takes me out of the water, he dries me off, and he's like, hey, come walk with me, right? And now I go to, I go to his house, I live at his house, I eat from his table. He teaches me who he is and shows me how to walk like him. And now, now we can go back to the pool, right? 
And I can now, because I walk like him, I can now also walk on water. The very thing I used to be drowning in, I'm now walking in and pulling other people out of. But if I don't understand that, I'll be afraid to go back to what I used to be bound by because I'll not know how to walk like Jesus. And also, this, man, I, this always happens. As I prepare, like, I just get so excited, I just can't sleep at night. Last night, the Lord was like, just bring this in deeper to me. And it was like, okay, so get this. If I can now walk on top of the water, right, of the pool of sin, and I'm helping Jesus, and I'm pulling people out, and bringing them to him, and discipling them, and whatever, I don't have to be drowning in sin to relate to them. And we have this thing that we need to sympathize with people and be in the same thing that they're in, and it's so not true. Jesus is our perfect high priest, but he was not, he was tempted in every way, but he didn't give in to sin. And that's actually what gives us confidence with him, is that he actually understands. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16 is what really, it talks about that. It says, for we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. We draw near to him with confidence. Because y'all know he's sitting in heaven as a man. So when you're going through a difficult time, he knows what it's like. If he never came, he would never know what temptation was. If he never came, he would never know what, what it means to, to deal with, should I trust the Lord or not, right? He was tempted in every way, but without sin. So Jesus is in heaven now as a man who understands. He understands. And that's why we have confidence before him, because he understands. He's not, he's not saying you should have your act together. How, why, like, he's, he's, not, he's not like you should be better than this. He's like, I understand. Let me give you mercy and grace and help. And his grace actually empowers you, as we talked about. His grace empowers you to live out who he's called you to be and to live out who you truly are. And when we understand this, it shifts so much inside our hearts because I remember there was a time, this is another sign, I don't think I said this before, another sign we don't understand Jesus our high priest is that we we feel closer to the Lord through repentance than through rejoicing. I remember there was a time when the Lord was like, Wesley, you think my main goal is to bring you to repentance, but repentance is unto rejoicing. And the Lamb of God is about repentance, but the high priest is about rejoicing. It's about rejoicing in what he's done. And if we feel, this is what happens, is sometimes we actually feel closer to the Lord through repentance than any other time because it's the only way we know how to relate to him. That's super heavy. But I, I feel like that's really real. 
and I went through a season where that was, that was all that I knew of the Lord was repentance. But Jesus actually believes his blood is enough. He actually believes his blood is enough to take you and to make you like him. And when he's coming back, he's not preaching repentance. Hebrews 9.28 says, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So he's not coming back to deal with sin, because he already did. Like, it's, he actually believes what he did was enough. He believes it, do we? Like, he believes what he did was enough, and now we can actually walk like him and be eagerly waiting for him. I'm just going to keep reading because it's just so good. This is 10.1. For since the law has a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered year after year make those who draw near perfect. Which insinuates that his blood can. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, this is talking about Old Testament, and these sacrifices, there's actually a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. But it's possible for his blood to take it away. And so Jesus' job as the high priest is to keep your fire burning. His job is to give you confidence to draw near to the Lord in your time of need. And I believe to bring you joy and rejoicing. And do you know how you'll never burn out? Is when I'm not ministering out of my own strength and my own momentum and my own fire burning, I'm actually ministering out of his fire that's burning towards me. So my ministry is a result of his ministry towards me. And in I remember there was a time when I was reading through, I was reading through Hebrews. We were doing a little Bible study on it. And I was preparing on like, Lord, what do you want me to say? And I was reading about the priesthood, and I was shocked at how the job of the high priest and what we've made a job description of a lot of pastors is the same thing. Because we're so used to coming to man. In the Old Testament, it was man going to man, a priest, to connect them to God. And Jesus died, and he, God came to man to connect him to God. But we, naturally, I'm not saying all of us, but I'm saying it, it just, in culturally, we still go to a man to connect us to God. And, and we make pastors and teachers and even spiritual mentors in our life, we put them in the place of a high priest, and it's prayer, and it's intercession, and it's keeping my fire burning. And there is definitely a role, and like, I mean, intercession, it's like where two or three are gathered, like, I mean, there's power in that, right? And like, there's definitely something about the communal stirring up and fanning into flame the gift that the Lord has given us, but when I'm relying on you to keep my fire burning, that's when I've put you in the place of God, and I, th- I believe it's why there's a lot of people, even in ministry, that are burned out and they're just going through the motions. It's because they, they're actually trying to fulfill what Jesus died on the cross to become. 
And so if Jesus, oh, this is just so good. Mm. Verse 12, chapter 10. But when Christ had offered for one time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. By a single offering, he's perfected forever those who are being sanctified. So Jesus' prayer and intercession for you, he's not praying for you to be perfected in a way because his blood has made you perfected. He's praying for you to walk in what he's done. He's not praying for his blood to work better. He's praying for you to walk in it. He's praying for you to understand it. Like, you don't even need me here today telling you about this because if we could actually tune into what he's saying, he would show it to us. Like, Paul preached all, like, so much of the New Testament, right, is written by Paul. And he says, he's like, no man taught this to me. I got the revelation from Jesus. Like, that's crazy. So you mean the Lord taught him that. And so this, I want to wrap up. This I want to wrap up. If Jesus is praying, if he's interceding for you, if he right now, present time, right now, January 9th, 2022, 11.54 a.m., Jesus is in heaven at the right hand of God with his blood on the mercy seat making atonement for all of you. And now he's praying and interceding and he has a ministry towards you. You are his target audience. What is he praying for you? That's how I want to wrap up. I want us to take a few minutes and ask the Lord to tune us into the prayers that he's praying. To tune us into the intercession that he's making for us. What is he praying for you? I challenged the youth one, one week when I preached this. I said, wake up every morning and ask the Lord what he's praying for you for that day. And I've been doing this, and it absolutely rocked me. And again, I'm not saying it's wrong to go to people, but there's so many things that, there's so many things we naturally ask someone to pray with us for, that if we understood that he's invested in it, it would change us, it would change our lives. And again, it's not wrong to go with people and to pray about something and get agreement. But sometimes we do that out of unbelief that the Lord is actually seeing it. We do it more to bring it to his attention than anything else. And he sees it, he knows it. He's fully invested in you today, right here, right now. His job and work did not finish 2,000 years ago on a cross. He ascended to the Father. He's in full-time ministry towards you. Interceding on your behalf. And so I want to just take a couple minutes as Sean plays. He's your priest. Whether you knew it before today or not, he is your priest. 
And his job is to bring you into communion and connection with God. Just so happens he's also God, connecting you to God. That's a good deal. So I want you to ask the Lord, Lord, what are you praying for me? What are you interceding about for me today? What are you doing on my behalf? I would encourage you to do the same, to wake up every morning and ask the Lord what he's praying for you. To ask the Lord what he's interceding for on your behalf. To ask the Lord what he wants to give you that day. And it will change your life because you don't wake up trying not to sin, you wake up enjoying your father. And so if we can go to have ministry teams come up, and if you just want someone to agree with you in prayer, feel free to do so. If you want to linger in here, awesome. I would encourage you, if this really hit a place in your heart, read through Hebrews, specifically 8 through 10. It's really deep and profound, but it's, it'll change your life. Be blessed.